all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Morgan McLeod, assistant professor of pediatrics and internal medicine at UMMC. Today, we are going to be talking with Dr. Ha Fan. She is one of our pharmacists in our clinic that I work for at our MedPeds clinic. She also works with the endocrine clinics, and she is actually a certified diabetes educator as well. So she is always our go-to for diabetes. (laughs) We love Dr. Fan in our clinic, and our patients love her too. And so I asked her to come on today so that we can talk about diabetes, and particularly, I know there's lots of questions about these new diabetes medicines that have been in the news all the time lately. And so I figured we'd probably have a lot of people who were interested in that. If you have any questions or comments, send us an email to kids at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Dr. Fan. Thanks for coming on with us. Morning. Thanks for having me. So just tell everybody a little bit about what you do and what your training is, um, your background with the diabetes educator. Um, And then I'll kind of explain, too, some of the things that we have that you help our clinic with, um, and then we can kind of get into the nitty-gritty of all the diabetes medicines. That sounds good. Yeah, so um, like Dr. McLeod said, so um, I am a certified diabetes educator, but before all of that, so I did some residency training, which is um, similar to what um, physicians do. Um, You have, except for pharmacy, it's optional. Um, So if you want to do additional residency training, you can. So I did um, one year uh, in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins Home Care Group, And then I did a second year in ambulatory care here at um, the University of Mississippi School of Pharmacy. And throughout that training, I just got like really specialized training in like clinics and um, outpatient care and just really learned a lot about a variety of chronic diseases from heart failure to cystic fibrosis to um, spending time in our MedPeds clinic. So that's how I ended up in MedPeds. Um, And then in terms of diabetes, I think it's just something that um, really affects all of all of our patients in such a, you know, a large way. So I think when I completed my training, I was trying to think how else I can help our patients and provide information, motivate them to, you know, have more information regarding their health and their um, chronic diseases. So I think I, that's why I pursued additional um, certification in diabetes education um, to feel more comfortable and uh, to be able to provide that information to patients. So um, that's why I ended up getting the um, certification in diabetes. But in terms of our clinic at MedPeds, so the way that I see it is if there's anything wrong with the medicine, I can always help with it. But um, like you said, in terms of um, what I 
um, do a lot of is diabetes. So um, anyone that has like trouble managing their diabetes or just trouble like knowing like if they have a lot of questions about it or, you know, if they're in the stage actually in the beginning where you're first diagnosed and you really want to um, be like preventative about it and make sure that there's no like prog- progression, that's I feel like the best time to come see us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that we can definitely help and, you know, make sure that it doesn't progress and, um, you know, uh, control it for as long as we can instead of being on the flip side where, you know, we're um, adding a lot of different medications and changing a lot of doses. But there's nothing wrong with one side or the other side of the spectrum, but we're definitely there to help no matter what. So, yeah. yeah. And our patients love her. Uh, she'll usually, her and her team, because uh, she has a lot of the residents that will follow with her. So just like she did a residency, she has some that are study under her. And they'll call our patients and check in on how their sugars are doing, and they can adjust their medicines. Um insurance with yes. uh, diabetes medicines can be very tricky. And so they're really helpful at, with that, too, because a lot of these insurance companies require um, PAs. You've probably heard this term before, prior authorizations. Um, and we can talk a little bit about that, too, uh, just like what insurances help cover these medicines and such as we get into it. But um, she is a great resource for our clinic, and we are so very thankful for her. And so I'm glad she came on the show today because I think she'll be able to Give us a lot of information. So thanks again for coming on. And also, she's newly married, too. She just got married, like, two weeks ago? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so congrats. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Okay, so let's get into some of the newer diabetes medicines, which I feel like... If you've watched any news channel over the past three to four months, you've probably heard the term Ozempic or Monjero um, because a lot of people are using these now for weight loss, which they actually work really well. However, there's not truly an indication as of now, except for Ozempic. Uh, Ozempic. Mm-hmm. But it's for Wajobi. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's mm-hmm. a little different. But um, but a lot of people that have been using these medications that are not diabetics. Mm-hmm. So before we get into that, let's just, can you explain just how these medicines work? Because I think that a lot of people want to know, like, why are so many people wanting these medications? Because they are a safe medicine. They do help you lose weight, but they're technically a diabetes medication. So yes. can you explain a little bit about how they work before we kind of get into some of the other indications for it? Yeah, I think so starting out, so uh, I think we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but the first uh, or GLP-1 that hit the market, so um, that came out in 2010. 2010, okay. Uh, yeah, it was a while around ago. then. So that's mm-hmm. been a while. So mm-hmm. like you said, these are definitely safe medicines that have been studied for a while now. Um, but I think the way that I explain it and the easiest way probably to explain it is that it makes you feel more full more quickly. Mm-hmm. So there's different hormones that our body like releases, but um, overall these are it works on your gut peptides is what it says, but essentially what it does is that it makes you feel more full more quickly. So I think that's why it works so well uh, when people are trying to use it for weight management, but ultimately um, it it um, can also work on your glucose, and that's the main purpose of where it works and how it works um, downstream and all of that. So I think that's why people try to use it for weight management, but ultimately it works really well actually on, on blood sugars and glucoses. Um, it can bring, I know we're, we didn't define the terms, but if anyone's ever heard of like A1C or the measure of your sugar, your average sugar every three months, it can bring down your A1C like one to two percent, which is really awesome for a lot of our patients. Um, so, yeah. So I guess um, we're on average, a lot of the 
a lot of the medicines will only bring it down like one. half to one. Yeah, if that. Um, yeah, so I mean that's pretty good numbers that yeah. it can bring it down one to two percent. So yeah, and and it, you know I always explain it as it's an added bonus that you get to lose weight. So when we are able to lose weight, that also helps bring down your sugar. So it's just you might get a little bit extra that you weren't meaning to get in terms of A one C lowering. Um, but we'll probably throw around a lot of these names of the medications, but there are a couple ones that you've probably seen on the market. So uh, there's um, Bidurion, which is like a little bit older. That's probably one of the first ones. And then you probably may have heard of Victoza, which a lot of us may have heard of. And then more of the um, more recent ones that are once weekly injectables are uh, Trulicity and Ozempic. And then there's a new one, like Dr. McLeod said, that's on the market, Manjaro, um, which is also once a week, but it's a little bit different than the other ones. So how this one differs is when I said earlier that it's like um, uh, acts in our like gut peptides and our hormones that way. This one works on two different ones. So that's how it gets like an added added benefit. So it's still a GLP-1, but it has just a little, little extra to it. And that's, I think, what has helped a lot of patients in terms of the extra weight loss that they may be seeing when they're using that one. Um, so... So one thing I will say, too, is these medicines are for type 2 diabetics. Yes. So actually, our type 1 diabetics, these are not indicated for. So can you explain? I guess we should do a quick little explanation about the difference between type 1 and type 2. Type 1 is typically our younger patients. I mean, you can be in your early 20s and get diagnosed with type 1. But typically, it's going to be our younger generation and our kids that are going to be diagnosed with type 1. It is considered an autoimmune process because what's happening is the body is destroying your pancreas, which is what makes the insulin. You have to have insulin to help your body absorb the sugars because they need the glucose and the sugar for energy. If you don't have insulin, then your body can't absorb that glucose and your glucose stays too high, which can then cause problems. So type 1 diabetics don't have any insulin because their body has attacked and destroyed the pancreas. It can't work anymore. Whereas type Type 2 diabetes is typically our older patients. It's our overweight patients. It runs really strongly in families. Um, and so that's why a lot of times we have, we kind of connect it with as you get older, um, with it, there is a direct association with obesity as well. Um, because we know that if you lose weight, a lot of times you can uh, treat the diabetes. And that is more of what we call like insulin resistance. So your body still makes the insulin. Your body just doesn't know how to utilize it very well. Um, and then eventually the longer you have, and that's why the weight loss helps type 2 diabetes, because as you lose that fat tissue, you actually are better respond to the insulin if that that's I guess that's kind of an easy way to put it. Yeah. Um, so that's why it's you, when we recommend weight loss for type two diabetics because you can have some better response to the insulin because your body is still making the insulin it's just not using it properly. Mm-hmm. The longer you have type two diabetes the more your pancreas burns out because it's trying to produce that insulin for you to utilize it, but you're not using it correctly. Your body's not using it properly. So therefore, it eventually will die out. And that's why you do see some type 2 diabetic patients that have to be on insulin therapy. Um, so just to kind of clarify that, because it's important because these GLP-1s really aren't indicated in type 1 diabetics. This is mostly type 2 diabetics. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there so people knew that. Yeah, we definitely have some patients that 
may have, you know, living with type 1 that are asking if they can use these. And unfortunately, right now, they're not um, indicated. Yeah. So. So, this is Southern Remedy, and we are talking today about diabetes and the diabetes medicines in particular. But we're here to answer any questions that you may have. So we were kind of focused a lot on the what we call the GLP-1s. Um, and that, in particular, those medications are going to be the Victoza, the Ozempic, um, Trulicity, Manjaro. Um, and you probably have heard those names in the news because a lot of people are using them off-label for weight loss. Although um, the generic name for Ozempic and the generic name for Victoza have also been rebranded as weight loss medications. So um, they do. some of them do have some indications for weight loss. Mm-hmm. And we're hopefully working towards that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, we're, uh, we were actually talking before the break. Uh, as of now, supposedly Mississippi Medicaid is going to cover them as a weight loss medicine starting in July. Yeah. Um, and typically when Medicaid and Medicare do something, then private insurances follow suit. Um, which I think would be great mm-hmm. because if we could help people lose weight, then we can prevent a lot of these complications from um, obesity, like high blood pressure and diabetes and kidney disease and heart disease and strokes and all the things that come complications that come with it. Um, so hopefully we have found something to help us with that, but we still are a little bit away from that. So. We talked some about how they do help you lose some weight because Mm -hmm. they do change. Essentially, they make you fuller faster. Mm -hmm. And if you're fuller faster, you're not going to eat as much, and therefore you'll lose some weight. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, you said there's some differences between them. Can you kind of elaborate on that a little bit? Because Ozempic, I feel like, is the one that's everywhere all in your face right now. Right, yeah. I'm sure we could think of the jingle (laughs) that's on TV. Um, But I think so in terms of like insurance, like we talked about before um, and prior authorizations, I do want to note something, too, um, that a lot of times when we get a prior authorization in clinic for these GLP ones, sometimes they want to know what other medications you've tried. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a big barrier sometimes because sometimes um, you might have not tried anything else. So sometimes that is uh, a barrier uh, in terms of getting GLP ones. Um, but in terms of the differences, so Victoza is the main one that's usually once a day um, and taken uh, every day. And I think the other thing I want to know is like the misconception that some people are worried that GLP ones are in, are insulin, and they're they're not. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's an injectable medication is usually what we refer to them as. So they're they're not insulin. So like I said, Victoza is once a day, and then the other ones that we mentioned, so Ozempic, Trulicity. And Manjaro, those are all once a week, which is a, another difference. And I think um, something else that we can bring up, too, is, like, when should you not have these? So I think uh, when we always – before we start someone on them, we always make sure that we ask, like, if they've had any history of something called pancreatitis or, like, inflammation of their pancreas. Because um, when they studied these medicines, um, they saw that – and when they injected them in mice, they saw that it could do that. That doesn't necessarily mean that it would happen or cause that to happen in adults or humans when we do inject it, but it's just something that they saw in mice and rats. Um, so that is a precaution to make sure that we don't give it to, you know, patients that have a history of that. And then also if you have any kind of personal history of, like um, – like thyroid um, cancer, they want to make sure that uh, you also don't get it. Not to say that you'll get it if you're taking the injection, but they saw it in mice that it enlarged their thyroid cells. Um, So not to say that it translates, they just want to be cautious. Right. And I have had a patient um, 
this was several years ago, probably, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, before we really had Ozempic and Trulicity, and she was on, um, I think she was on Bietta, mm-hmm. um, and which I don't even think is on the market anymore. Uh, but that was one of the first generations of these that we had. And anyway, she developed a thyroid nodule. It turned out it wasn't cancer. We got it biopsied, but we did end up stopping the medication just in case because of that um, that history with the that's one of the things is potential is if you've had a personal history of thyroid cancer so yeah um we've got a caller so we are going to jump on the lines and go to rachel who's in eupora good morning rachel good morning so i'm wondering is there a an indirect or direct correlation between type 2 diabetes and pancreatic cancer or what about the medications? Can they uh, start uh, start you down the path to uh, pancreatic cancer? I'm not aware of any connection between that. Um, pancreatic cancer, there's going to be more risk associated with, like, alcohol and smoking history than there is going to be type 2 diabetes. Um uh-huh. Now, there is, like Dr. Fan was saying, the risk of pancreatitis, which is inflammation in your pancreas. Um, but I've, I've never seen anything connected to it. I'm not sure if you have. No, I haven't seen anything directly connected to it. But if someone does have a history of any, any of that, I wouldn't give them the medicines that we've been talking about, like the GLP-1s. But I haven't seen it cause that in patients living with diabetes or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And okay. Yeah, and honestly, most pancreatic cancers, like I said, there is some connection with, like, alcohol and tobacco use, but most are mm-hmm. just random. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. we haven't really figured that one out. Any uh, genetic connections? For pancreatic cancer? Yeah. There, uh-huh. I'm sure there is because a lot of patients um, that do have it, they have some relative that's been diagnosed with it. I've definitely seen that happen. Uh, before with some of my patients um but i don't know i mean there's there's so much with genetics uh that i don't think we've pinpointed anything yet but i think we know that there probably is some kind of connection there um okay but i don't know of that there's been any specific connection just yet but we know there has to be some kind of relation Uh okay thank you very much yes ma'am thank you for your call so I, I do have a question because yeah. um, we talked about the thyroid. We the, the medication says personal history of thyroid cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say I am a little hesitant if there has been family members with thyroid cancer because that's another one that I feel like sometimes can run in families. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do know there are some specific conditions, and I think they even say it on the Ozempic commercial if you've had MEN mm-hmm. um, in your family, uh, which are some conditions that have th- uh, thyroid cancer as part of it. But I don't know. Are you hesitant if you have a family member that's had thyroid cancer? That's just kind of my personal thing. I'm just kind of like, eh, I'm a little yeah. hesitant. But I know the medication actually says personal history unless you have one of those um men type one or two right um but what are your thoughts on that I, i'm the same way i think i'd rather be cautious as opposed to um so i always ask you or anyone in your family and if they say anyone in their family i usually try to figure out who it was and then go from there but often i'm like uh, yeah because i mean if it's like a third or fourth cousin yeah. like yeah okay you know yeah. but if it was like a first degree relative yes. yeah i would be a little hesitant myself too so yeah um, I, in terms of other differences too, I think um, 
something to bring up between the medications is like when they're the dose changes Mm -hmm. um, and like why we like start on the lowest dose and like go up to the highest dose. And that's because um, in terms of side effects, sometimes if we go from the lowest dose to the highest dose immediately, it might kind of shock your system and you might get some of the side effects like nausea um, or some people get like really bad gas, which is some very uncomfortable for some people. So I think that's why we start at a very low dose. And for Victoza, you can change the dose every week, but the other ones that we brought up, so Ozempic, Trulicity, Manjaro, those are usually titrated every month. Um, So I think just working with your doctor on when works best for you to change the doses, because you don't always have to follow that too if you're having some of those side effects. Um, Another thing too to help avoid the side effects besides the doses is uh, like the kinds of meals you have Mm -hmm. or how large the meals are or what size the portions are so a lot of times if you're having larger meals that are have high fat content or very greasy and stuff like that because i know um, with being in mississippi sometimes uh, (laughs) we have different varieties of what we have for lunch and for supper Um, but if you have more of those fatty greasy meals that can definitely make you feel not as good so if we can reduce the size of the meal um, and then not kind of be cautious and um, mindful of how much grease and fat we use that can always help and that is something too um if, you know, when we do get to use these for weight loss, hopefully one day in the future, um, or if you are fortunate enough to be able to get Wajovi covered, yeah. um, you know, if you're on these medications for weight loss, yes, they are going to help you lose weight because you're going to get fuller faster. But if you truly want to get the full benefit of it, you have to change your diet, too. You know, mm-hmm. you can't just be one of the, can't just take the medicine and expect life changing results. Like, mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that, too, and we can get into that as we talk a little bit more about the weight side of it, but you still have to change your lifestyle. Mm-hmm. You can't just only rely on the medication. So right. just something to think about. Right. But we've got some callers. So um, our first caller is Elaine. Good morning, Elaine. I have a question. I am pre-diabetic and have been for some time. Um, I'm trying very hard to eat healthy, less processed foods and, and sugars. And I walk um try to get in 10,000 steps, but uh, I'm still pre-diabetic, and I need to lose um, just about 10 pounds. So can a pre-diabetic use that, that uh, medicine to, uh, to lose weight? Used to. (laughs) Technically, they're not approved, (laughs) unfortunately, for prediabetes. I'm sure you may have heard of other medicines that are approved for prediabetes, like metformin. Um, But unfortunately, right now, these injectable medicines are not approved for prediabetes. We were able to. I mean, I would say this time last year, Mm -hmm. we were able to use that as a resource for a lot of our prediabetics. But unfortunately, um, a lot of people have taken advantage of some of these medicines, and that's Mm -hmm made the insurance companies really crack down on the indications for it. So as a pre-diabetic, if you've tried metformin and you can't tolerate metformin, you could potentially try to get it. Um, But most insurances aren't going to let you get it as a pre-diabetic until you failed metformin therapy. So you can use metformin or no? You can. Yes, ma'am. You can use metformin as indicated for pre-diabetes. Okay. So that you go through your doctor's talk to talk to my doctor what he says yes ma'am yes ma'am okay and it you know it all just depends i will say i don't give metformin for all my pre-diabetics you know if you're if you're over 65 and you have pre-diabetes and it's it's been pretty well controlled with your lifestyle changes which it sounds like 
what you do with staying active and walking and watching your diet, then a lot of times I won't make people, you know, or not make people, I guess we never make people, but you know what I mean? I won't encourage people to take the medicine. However, if I had a 45 year old, there, there's a strong family history of diabetes. They don't really watch their lifestyle. I'm probably going to encourage them a little bit more to take the metformin. Um, so your doctor may, you know, just talk to you about the the pluses and minuses of it um, based off of what your, your history is your family history so metformin is indicated but i i mean honestly i don't put it on all my diabetic patients just because it, it's very kind of dependent on the patient if that makes sense okay. that does and, and i'm over 65 and i and i don't eat fried foods and you know a lot of processed foods and so um i'm trying close to live uh, to eat a plant-based i still eat chicken and, and fish uh but not tried. So, mm-hmm. um, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm maintaining. I just thought, wow, if I could just lose these last five pounds, so I, I lose it. Um, I, I lose ounces and not uh, pounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think what you're doing sounds like you're doing a great job managing your prediabetes. Okay. All right. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Miss Elaine. Okay. And we'll go next to Greg. In Crystal Springs. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. I'm really enjoying your show. You're giving some great information. Oh, well, thank I you. Was, I, I was too uh, pre-diabetic, started out with metformin, but about uh, six months ago, I started on Ozempic. Uh, it's worked great. I've lowered my A1C significantly and lost about 25 pounds. The uh, the the advice that you're giving that you do have to have a lifestyle change is absolutely correct. Uh, changing your diet definitely helps, but it's easier with Ozempic. You do feel full faster. Uh, I seem to have less uh, sweet cravings. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but the Ozempic is, has been an amazing change. Yeah, well, that's great to hear. So thank you for your program and thank you for the information. Yeah, well, thank you for calling and I'm I'm glad to hear a success story. So, did you have? Are you still taking the metformin? If you don't mind me asking, or did they stop it when you started the Ozempic? No, I uh, I'm still taking the metformin mm-hmm. because we still have a little more work to do on A1C and we still have a little more weight loss to go. So, okay, uh, but I am still taking the uh, metformin. Good, good, good. Okay. Well, yeah, thanks for calling and sharing your story. And I've heard a lot of people say that. I don't know if it's the particular hormones it works on, but mm-hmm. not only does it decrease your appetite, but a lot of people say they don't crave sweets anymore Yeah. after that. I don't know if that – if, but you're not the first person to tell me that. So. Yeah, I well, think it's, it just, it's, oh, it's been great for me. Yeah, yeah well, good. good. Thanks for your call. And we have another Greg on the line in Columbus. Good morning, Greg. Oh, good morning. Well, good morning to everybody. I got a uh, situation probably been over four years. Doesn't matter what type of blood pressure pills I'm on. My uh, top would be like sometimes 198, 205, or it would be something like over 100. My bottom number would be like 106, 108. It would just constantly, you know, just constantly stay high. Mm-hmm. So... So there's a few things I'll say. I will say, on average, if you talk to a hypertension specialist, like 
like Dr. Jimmy Stewart that does the Wednesday show, he is actually certified in hypertension. And if you talk to one of them, they will say that the average person needs two to three blood pressure medications to control their blood pressure. So, you know, it is some for most patients, it's going to take more than one medicine to control their blood pressure. I'll just start by saying that we we say that if you are on four or more medicines and one of those medications has to be a diuretic medicine. Um, so typically the medicine we think about is like hydrochlorothiazide, HCTZ or um, chlorothaladone. If you are on four medicines, plus, including one of those, then you have what we term resistant hypertension. And if that's the case, you really probably need to be seeing a hypertension specialist. Um, and there are a lot of people out there certified. We have several. Um, Dr. Stewart's one of them, but we have a few more that have the certification at UMC, too. And I'm sure there's several scattered throughout the state, too. Um and I would recommend getting in to see one of those people because they they do have a special certification trained to t- take care of people that have the condition like you have where it's difficult to treat the blood pressure. And there's some other tests that we can run, you know, like we can look at your kidneys and make sure the arteries in your kidneys aren't blocked because that can be a big cause of it. There's a few hormone levels that we like to check, too. Um, because there's some specific hormones that can make it more difficult to treat your blood pressure. Um, and so there's a few more tests that we would run if you were considered resistant hypertension. Um, so I would recommend if you're one of those people that I would go and try to see if you could find a hypertension specialist so that they could run some of those tests and, and figure out what medicines that you need to be on based off of those tests. Okay. Okay. I sure do appreciate that because I get worried. I, get, I try not to check my blood pressure all the time. But I get worried and worried about it whenever I do. I check it at home. I go to the doctor. Everything is still high. And uh, I sure do appreciate your insight on that. Yeah. When I hang up to you, uh, I'm going to call this hypertension. Yeah. Uh, 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 doctor, so I, so I can set an appointment. I appreciate that. Yes, 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 yes. Well, hopefully they can get you some answers and they can figure out what's going on and find the right medicines for you. Okay, I appreciate that. Love y'all show, man. Yes, thanks so much for calling. We appreciate it. All right. Okay. Um, and we will go next to Barbara. She is in Waynesboro. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. Yeah, I just had a question. Um, I'm type 1 diabetic, and I have been for 30 years. I started out on one type of injectable insulin, well, two types. And about 14 years ago, my doctor switched me to a different type. And now... It just doesn't seem to be working as well as it has in the past. And I was wondering maybe if I should consider changing or if there is something else to change to. Yeah, I I think um, in terms of insulin, there's a lot of them out there and a couple new ones that have been on the market. So if you feel like the one that you're on isn't controlling your sugars as well as it was in the past, you could always talk to your doctor in terms of getting the dose changed slightly, sometimes over time with you know, changes in our hormones and just changes in our daily habits. Sometimes you might need a little bit more, you might need a little bit less in certain areas. So I would just maybe um, check back in and see if there's any dose changes that need to be done either with the long acting or the short acting. It could be one or the other, but I I don't think it would be an issue to, you know, go back and ask. Which, do you know which one they switched you to, if you don't mind us asking? No, I don't mind. Right now I'm on Hemolin and Hemolog. Do you know... Ma'am? What were you on before that you mentioned um, 
prior to switching to I this one? On, yeah, I was on Humalog. Just I was on Humalog. And wait a minute, let me try to think about it. Okay. <laughs> it. It's not coming to me. But the one they switched me to was the Humalog, and I was still with the Humalog. I took them both. Gotcha. And I've taken the I've taken the Humalog for the entire time. Gotcha. Yeah. Do, do did they change it for like insurance reasons and price reasons? Um, well, I'm blind, some... not not from diabetes, but um, when that occurred, the those two medications came in a pen that actually clicked when you changed the dial. Yes, ma'am. And my doctor felt more comfortable with that because I could do it myself. Gotcha. So you got switched over to a pen with the, with the dial on it? Right. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I, I would just um, go back, and there's definitely other options if you feel like this one's not working to control your sugars. And they can chat through, like, what time of day that might be, if it's, you know, after meals, before meals, while you're sleeping. Because I think, ultimately, too, we want you to be safe, and we don't want you to have any lows, like, while you're sleeping or anything like that. So it, uh, it takes, like, a very specialized formula, like, for what insulin may work best for you. But a right. lot. Well, I, I'm fortunate. I have easily detected symptoms when something's wrong. But, of course, when it's very high, I just feel horrible. Mm-hmm. And I've been dealing with that a lot more lately. And so that's why, I mean, can you develop a resistance to it over time? I don't think so. I think just like uh, like you've said, some work better for certain people versus other people. Everybody responds differently to them. Um, so, I mean, I don't I don't know that there's necessarily a resistance. I think it's more of just like um, how your body responds to it. It's kind of like uh, antidepressants. You know, there's so many ones out there, and they're all tweaked just a tiny bit. They're all pretty much the same, just tweaked right. just a little differently, and everybody responds differently to the medicines. It's the same thing with insulin. They're all... They all have essentially this. They all work the same. Mm-hmm. They're just tweaked a little differently, and so your body's going to respond to them. What works for me may not work for Ha, mm-hmm. um, and it may not work for you. So I don't necessarily right. know that there's a resistance as much as it's just what works best for your body. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'll just go talk to my doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, there's lots of the longer acting that come in pins now. So mm-hmm. it should be, okay. you should be able to find something that if the pin part, because draw, drawing it up is not fun <laughs> in general. Um, so, I mean, they, sh- they, sh- they should be able to find you an option with a pin. Okay, well, thank you for the information. Yes, ma'am. Thanks for your call. And okay. I hate to bring up insurance again, mm-hmm. but, I mean, a lot of times as physicians, I our hands are kind of tied by insurance and what they'll cover mm-hmm. <laughs> when it comes to insulin. Um, and then if you don't have, you know, decent pharmacy coverage with your mm-hmm. insurance, I mean, insulins can get really pricey, yeah. especially some of the newer ones that we really like to use right. um, because they work really well. Um, but they're expensive. Yeah. So. And even if you get your hands tied or, you know, we, you know, go to bat for you and try to get one covered, I feel like sometimes still they kind of push back. And even if you can get it covered, sometimes they'll come back and they'll be like, it's $450. Yeah. Um, and I don't know about you, but I don't always have $450 <laughs> just sitting waiting to buy my insulin. So um, I think that's some of the barriers, too, with the newer ones. Yeah. So, um, so I hate to sound like that, but it really is. Sometimes our hands are just tied and we can't – there's not much we can do um, – when it comes to the most ideal insulin regimen for people. So we just kind of have to work with what we got. So, 
Um, we'll go next to Hope, who is in Laurel. Good morning, Hope. Hey, how are you? Good. What's going on this morning? Okay, so what happens to the population that is using it for weight loss when they come off the drug? That's a good question. <laughs> I think um, I think it varies, again, on the person, but I think sometimes what you'll see is if you've been able to implement all the other lifestyle changes that come you know, with either having diabetes or if you're you know, you happen to be able to get the medication for weight loss because it's approved for weight loss or the ones that are approved for weight loss. Um, they do see that you may gain back the weight, but it's more related if you're not able to continue like the lifestyle changes of changing what you eat or incorporating exercise or movement or whatever the best that you can. That's typically what you see in terms of when they end off, like start, stop the medicine. Right. Because they're probably going to gain a couple of the pounds back. I mean, I don't, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they'll probably gain a few back, but if you have, because you're just going to be eating more. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the whole reason the medication works is because you quit eating as much your portion, you you know, you've, you cut back on your portions a lot. So as long as you can semi maintain portion control and you eat a healthy choice, you may gain a few pounds back, but as long as you've made the lifestyle changes, most people can keep most of it off. Um, Now, if you don't make the lifestyle changes and you just go back to your old eating habits, then it's going to come right back. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like with any diet. I Mm -hmm. mean, you know, we can help you lose weight, but if you don't make the put forth the effort to make the true changes to your lifestyle, it's not going to last. Hopefully that helped and made sense. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. We have been talking today about diabetes. In particular, we've been focusing a lot on the diabetes medicines because I feel like that is a lot of people have questions about that. And we have Dr. Hoffan on with us, who is a pharmacist as well as a uh, diabetes educator. And she's answering a lot of questions for us. So I kind of want to address the um, elephant in the room, I guess you would say, because I personally have gotten people to patients to call and ask about this, and I have not felt comfortable with this. And I know that the Mississippi, we got an email last week from the um, licensure board, and I think the pharmacy board is starting to crack down on this. Um, Because there's a lot of people out there doing, like, telehealth visits Mm -hmm. and um, compounding Ozempic, Mm -hmm. um, which is uh, not always the safest because you don't really know what you're getting. So if you wouldn't mind just kind of elaborating on that. um, Yeah why we say that that may not be the safest option you know probably it's fine you know what they're doing but we don't know that for sure so Mm -hmm. if you could just kind of elaborate on that a little bit yeah so how these uh medications come they usually come in a pen and they have like what an earlier caller talked about is like they have a clickability so like that's how you change your dose is they have a little knob and you change the dose that way and that's how you and you press down on the knob and that's how you get the medication um you know, and that's how you administer the medication. But uh, for some of these telehealth health calls or um, providers that are giving out this medication, maybe not in the form of that injectable or maybe in some other form. So I think how they're making it is that um, I'm not really sure where they're getting um, the vials of medications, but what they're essentially doing is getting vials of the medication and then turning it into the injection or Ozempic. Um, they may have found the vials in maybe other countries or just somehow found them and then they're compounding them or turning them into the injections which a lot of things to think about when you're turning it into an injection and not the way that it comes um sometimes it you you know it might not follow the same like sterile like compounding or the manufacturing um regulations that are in place for the companies that actually make the injections um so i think it may lead to you know 
I don't want to say it, but sometimes you might get an infection that you didn't want, mm-hmm. um, or you don't know who touched that needle or who, you know, put the medication in there and how much you're getting also, you know, like, I'm not sure if their equations are correct. And if you're, you're getting the appropriate dose that other people may be getting when they're actually getting it from the pharmacy. So I would just caution that and caution that, you know, both of our boards are on the lookout for this type of manufacturing and it's it's not technically legal um, and definitely not safe and I think that's something that we should think about as providers is like what is the safest option for our patients yeah so yeah so if, if you have used it it's you're it's probably uh, fine but right. there is always that risk and so I just wanted to address that because I feel like it's everywhere right mm-hmm. now and it's commonly referred to as quote unquote the shot mm-hmm. um, and people are getting the, people are finding ways to get it mm-hmm. and that's one of the ways and so they have um, they have said that they are going to try to start cracking down on that a little bit so yeah. just to be aware of that if that is something that you've heard other people talking about and maybe you were interested in um, we were just causing you to be careful with that because just be careful yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll go to next to our caller Deborah good morning Deborah Hello. Hey, what's going on? Well, um, it's interesting. I just went to my primary care nurse practitioner this week and and asked if I could get help with with losing weight. Uh, I'm not pre-diabetic, and um, so I'm kind of just need to get some clarification about at this point in time or what's projected to make these uh, these uh, drugs available and, and covered by insurance for obesity. So as of now, there's no medications covered by insurance for obesity, as far as I know. Yeah, there might be like some tablets that may be, and like it just depends on the insurance. Every plan is very different, so it just depends. But in terms of Mississippi, in terms of, um, Medicaid right now, there's not anything covered. Um, but like we said earlier, there might be something coming out in July. And then for like state plans, um, there's no, not like, anything yeah. that they cover. But actually, um, the Ambetter Magnolia plan, they do cover some of the tablets, but they don't. Not, they do not cover any of the injectables. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and and again, like what we said before with insurance, um, it might be covered, but then it might end up with like a four hundred dollar, you know, deductible or something like that. So yeah, yeah. So and one more question, just briefly. Um, so um, the semaglutide or Wagovi. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, that's offered only by compounding pharmacies. Is that what you just talked about? No, ma'am. That well, this so the semaglutide is Ozempic and it's also Wajovi. They're the they're the same medication. They're both semaglutide. Um, and so the Wajovi is the version that actually has the indication for weight loss. Um, and for a while there, you could get a coupon mm-hmm. and pay $25 a month. And a lot of people were able to get the Wajovi for weight loss because mm-hmm. that is the one indicated. But that kind of ran its course because so many people took advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And so now the 
only way to get Ozempic, I mean, the only way to get a Wajovi is if your insurance doesn't pay for it to pay out of pocket, and it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. Like we're talking like close thousands. to a thousand dollars a month. So what a lot of places have been, not a lot of places, let me rephrase that. Some places have been doing is finding ways to compound the medicine. So not giving you the true brand Ozempic or the true brand Wajovi, but finding a way to compound the medicine um, so that you can get semaglutide, but it's in a compound. Um, And that's the one we were talking about, be cautionary about. Ozempic itself, Wajovi itself, those are totally fine. Mm -hmm. It's just... You can't get those for weight loss as of now. Well, you can get the Wajovi, but you just have to pay out of pocket, and it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. Does, okay. that, does that make okay. sense? Yes, yes. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for your call. And the Wajovi, like I said, is indicated for weight mm-hmm. loss. It's just not covered by insurance. So right. if you wanted your provider to write you a Wajovi, they totally could. Mm-hmm. It's just get ready to... Pull out your pockets because <laughs> yeah. uh, it can be really pricey and expensive. But hopefully that's changing. Yes. Um, you know, I think hopefully insurance will come around and realize that if we can if we can head off the obesity, then we can actually save money in the long run by not having to cover all these other problems that come associated with obesity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I think also that gives us time to prepare also, if we know that it's going to be covered in the future, just to make sure it stays on the shelves. Mm-hmm. Cause that was definitely something that was also right. a barrier is that with the $25 coupon, some people were having to search around for whatever dose they needed and all that. So just making sure that we prep on all fronts. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. So, um, we're running out of time. I know we had wanted to talk about continuous glucose monitors. I don't know if you have like a one minute spill about yeah. about those real quick if you wanted to. Yeah, I can. So I know that might be a question for another time. But uh, in terms of the continuous glucose monitors, so some people call them like Dexcom or Libre, and there's some other ones that are associated with insulin pumps. But um, what they do is that they are um, checking your sugar continuously um, and you don't have to like scan or prick your finger or anything like that. So sometimes people place them on their like abdomen or sometimes you can put find ones like on people's um, the back of their arm. Um, so that's where they're normally placed in reading your blood sugar. And that really helps, I think, patients just have more awareness of what their numbers are at any given time or how a meal affects them without having to prick themselves. So there's just a, there's a lot of differences between the two um, in terms of how long you can wear them for or um, where you apply them and what ages they're um, approved for. Um, but I think that is a new uh, and neat technology to help people out so that we're not having so many finger pricks and injections and all that. So I think it's new technology that's great to learn to learn more about. Yes, yes. And they are somewhat covered by insurance. Yeah, <laughs> it depends on the plan and what medicine you're taking. Yes, if you if you are on insulin therapy, there's a high likelihood you'll be able to get it. If you're just on orals, it's going to depend. Yeah, but I will say if you're on insulin, there's a high chance that you'll be able to get it. So, yep. um, but yeah, if you have questions about those and we didn't get to it, send us an email kids at mpbonline.org and we can get back to you about it. So, thanks so much, Doctor Fan, for coming on. I feel like it was a really good show, and I appreciate you sharing your insight. On some of these medicines. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, this has been Southern Remedy, a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio, and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I'm not sure who the call screener was. I think everybody was helping us out. Several. <laughs> Several, yes. <laughs> um, join us next Thursday at 11 on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 
To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.